The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. From the news team at LinkedIn, I'm Jesse Hempel, and this is Hello Monday. It's our show about the changing nature of work and how that work is changing us. Okay, so has this happened to you? You're going for a promotion. Maybe you're quite senior in your organization. You've delivered on your projects. Things are going great. But you don't get that promotion. Instead, you get this feedback. She just needs more executive presence. When you ask, well, what's executive presence? The answer can be hard to parse. It's like, well, it's, I mean, like, yeah, that guy over there, he's got strong executive presence. And you wonder, is there a formula for it? Can you get better at it? Muriel Wilkins believes there is, of course, a formula. She's a coach. Muriel hosts a podcast with Harvard Business Review. It's called Coaching Real Leaders, and she actually coaches people on the show. Along with her business partner, Amy Sue, Muriel has written a book on this concept of presence. It's called Own the Room, Discover Your Signature Voice to Master Your Leadership Presence. So I asked Muriel here today to explain it. But as I said, Muriel's a coach. It's what she does. And before long, (laughs) she was coaching me. Here's Muriel. It's funny because the reason why I even started thinking and researching and playing around with this topic of executive presence was that years ago when I would get feedback on my clients, a lot of times what the feedback we would get is, you know, they 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 need to work on their executive presence. And then I'd say, okay, well, what do you mean by that? So, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what it means, but, you know, just they need to work on it. And I thought to myself, like, that has got to be the most unproductive feedback ever, right? Like, you need to work on X. I have no idea what it is, but do it. And oh, by the way, you know, can you really work on it? Because maybe you're just born with it or you're not. Yeah, like like it's charisma or something. Exactly, right? It's right, like, like, or it's that, it's like that person. And I'm like, it's like Joe. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm not Joe and neither is my client. So that doesn't make any sense. And so that's what really led me to try to figure out for the sake of my clients, what does it actually mean to have leadership presence, executive presence? And the bottom line is everybody has presence. And so when we talk about leadership presence, it's more around, do you have a presence that actually exudes leadership, regardless of where you sit in the organization? It's not a hierarchical positional thing. I've seen the most junior people in the room exude leadership presence, and then the most senior people not do it at all. And so what is it that they demonstrate? They are able to create an impact, create a feeling that leads to two things when you are around them. You walk away feeling like they're credible, and you also walk away feeling like they are relatable or connected to you. And so having leadership presence is really at the intersection of being able to convey that type of energy where you both have the impact of being credible and relatable. So is this something one can really get better at? I believe you can. And that's what I've set out to do for the past 15 years, right, is to help people develop that particular intersection and do it in a way that works for them rather than mimicking others. 
And so you have to condition yourself, though. I think it's not enough to just say, stand this way or make eye contact or use this type of voice and you'll be there. It's also not enough to say, fake it till you make it and you'll exude that type of leadership presence. The way that I think about it is you almost have to kind of build it by conditioning yourself like an athlete. When you think about an athlete, they condition themselves in terms of their mindset. They condition themselves in terms of the skills that they bring to their sport. They condition themselves in terms of their physical conditioning. And so similarly, as an individual, if you're trying to build your presence, your executive presence, you have to think about your mindset. Is it working for you? So if you want to be credible, but yet mentally you're thinking, oh, my God, I don't know anything. Oh, I am so unprepared. These people know more than me. That's going to work completely against the very impact that you're trying to have. Right. Mm -hmm. And then from a skill standpoint, it's really the communication strategies. And are you well versed in all of them? Do you know how to listen well? Do you know how to speak in a clear, concise, structured way? Do you know how to frame a message? So there are some clear communication techniques that can help. And then the physical conditioning is, you know, the the outer layer. And what is the energy that that exudes? Right. And is it aligned again with that outcome of coming off both credible and relatable at the same time? It makes me think about how at one point I had a group that I was a part of that was a support group for up and coming executives. And so it was a a peer group. It was half men and half women. And Mm -hmm. I'd run into just a real snarl um, with my boss. And I brought this problem to the group and everybody in the group was outraged on my behalf, which good for them because it was a peer group and I was depending on that. But the men and the women had entirely different approaches to how I should deal with it. The men's advice to me was all about demonstrating my authority by going in and standing up to my boss and letting my boss know he really couldn't treat me the way that he had treated me and he needed to listen to my perspective. And in my head, I was like, I just don't think that's going to (laughs) work. And the women in in the group were like, oh, no, 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 no. You need to... Make sure to smile a lot all the time, the whole time. And you need to go in and you need to collaborate with your boss. You need to decide Mm -hmm. what your outcome is going to be and help your boss get there with you. And I thought that was so interesting because it spoke to me about the fact that you really need to recognize who you are in a group and use that to your advantage, regardless of how you feel about it. You can be angry that you need to do that. It still has to do, it seems to me, with executive presence, though, and with getting it right. It does. I mean, I think if you were to take that example and sort of put it in the frame that I just talked about, the guys were telling you, really push on that credibility angle, right? Go in, state your point, assert yourself, and say what you have to say. And the women were saying, "Mm, work the connectivity, relatable angle, right, muscle, and build a bridge, make sure you understand him, figure out what he wants, and then somehow sort of slide in what your thing. And in reality, to master it, it's mastering the duality of both. It's not an either and, right? It's the integration of both. And the fact of the matter, Jesse, is we actually have both within us. But through the way that we have been raised, conditioned, learned behavior, we tend to end up using one more than the other. And so the real work, and this is why we call this having a signature voice, is sort of finding the intersection between both 
the integration of both rather than living in this black or white, I can only do either one or the other. The metaphor I use a lot of it's it's like if you want a good, strong arm, you can't just work out your bicep. You also need to work out your tricep, which I hate, by the way. But I understand that if I want my arms to be more effective, more functional, more efficient, I need to work both out and they operate together rather than relying on one versus the other. We're going to take a quick break here. When we get back, Muriel will explain how the pandemic is changing what it means to lead. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hi, I'm Tober Korn, LinkedIn's Chief Product Officer. On my podcast, Building One, we dive deep into what it takes to build great products. Recently, we had Zach Perret, the CEO of Plaid, and he shared about his struggles building a financial app for consumers and how he was able to turn it all around with a critical pivot. Take a listen. I personally couldn't resonate as much with the consumer set that we were trying to reach. I just didn't have that level of empathy. When we made the shift to building a B2B product though, I was building the product that I wanted. My co-founder and I were creating the product that we wanted ourselves, and we had so much empathy for what that product was. Such a great insight. You know, in that sense, we got lucky because we were, we were creating a thing for ourselves. And then the people that we were talking to also had the same problems we did. They were fintech developers. We'd been a fintech developer. Uh, we'd been trying to build a fintech product for a year. and so. We had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Perret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One. And we're back. My guest today is Muriel Wilkins. She coaches executives, and many of them have had a rough year. The pandemic has forced a reckoning, a complete rethink of what they're doing. And just as it's done for many of us, it's required them to rise to the challenge of leading differently. The past year has made people very introspective, right, around what they're looking to achieve, not only for their personal life, but also organizationally. Many of the leaders that I work with really have been in crisis mode, and they are not crisis mode leaders. And in addition, it's made them reflective around what are the changes that need to come and how do they need to change to be able to face them. And it's kind of hard sometimes to figure that out on your own. So I'm finding that there is a bit of a, not necessarily an increased uh, demand for coaching, but the ask is somewhat different than it was in the past. You put words to something that I have felt and noticed, which is the moment that we're in. There was the immediate crisis way of working modality, followed by a sort of falling away of anything that didn't feel important mm-hmm. and a refocusing on purpose. Why am I here? What is this? What is this that I'm doing? Why does it matter? Followed by a period of trying to figure out, okay, well, how do I move forward? Like, what do I want to create? And based on this new way the world works and this new level of uncertainty I need to work within, like, how do I do that? Is that sort of what you're getting at? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's, you know, trying to figure out not only 
how do I need to adapt? But how do I bring all those who work with me, particularly if I'm leading people, uh, how do I bring them along to also adapt? So it's not just a responsibility to yourself and to your family, if you have a family that you live with, but it's also this whole notion that all of a sudden you're also responsible in a really real way for other individuals where work made up a huge part of their life. And I think this word adaptability and change is the one that really has hit home. Like you cannot have gone through this past year without coming face to face with how you deal with change. And on the one hand, I've seen people very much resist it. And on the other hand, I've seen others embrace it and see it as opportunity. As I see sort of leaders come to coaching, it's even helping them determine for themselves, like, which path do you choose? (laughs) And how do you want to be? How do you want to respond to what's happening in the world? I mean, beyond the pandemic, we also had all the racial injustice that came really to fruition last summer and, and helping leaders through that. It just all came to a convergence uh, in a way that weren't really issues that many leaders or individuals had to deal with before. You know, it seems like leaders need to step up to fill a bigger type of role for their employees, yeah. right? Corporate leaders in particular. Um, employees who may be dealing with economic uncertainty, family uncertainty, health uncertainty. They need something different from leaders. As you're talking to people, like how are you helping them through this moment? I think a big way is in helping them understand what it is that their people need from them. Right. I always tell the individuals I work with, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what Muriel thinks about you, because I'm not the one who has to work with you. I'm not the one who's being led by you. But you have all these stakeholders, whether they are the people in your organization or your board or your peers, whoever it might be, who are impacted by you on a daily basis, whether you're virtual or with them in person. And so really understanding what is it that they need from you in order to successfully be led by you. It is really important. So not operating in a vacuum is key. And what I'm finding, particularly with leaders who have in their organization folks of a different generation, is that what motivates them as the leader might be very different than what motivates those folks to come to work every day. Let's tease that out a little bit more. Let me tell you at least the theme I'm hearing from many of the employees and what they want from their leaders. They want their leaders to be more human, and they want their leaders to put an emphasis on culture. I can tell you something. When I was 20 years old or 23 years old, you know, coming out my first job, if you told me culture, I, I would be saying, oh, where, you know, are we going to Italy? Like, where, where are we going, right? I'm thinking culture geographically. <laughs> Completely. Yeah. But now you have when you are leading employees, they are very in tune to what are the values and the culture of the organization. And they want to make sure that there is one so that they can assess, are my individual values aligned with this organization? Very, very different than I think what what we wanted in the past. Well, you know, the word culture makes me kind of uncomfortable these days. Because the danger with talking about corporate culture is that you risk not making space for everyone. And we are living through a moment 
where we are bringing more attention to the idea of incorporating many different cultures of different employees and recognizing them. How Mm -hmm. do companies and how do leaders get that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I use the word culture because it's what individuals understand for now. But when I really get down to it with my leaders, I talk about to them in terms, what is the energy that you want to create? What yeah. is the ener- what is the feel of the place? What is the sense? And it's not something that is physical. I mean, you're seeing me here like sort of rubbing my fingers together because it's a sense, it's an energy, it's a feeling. And you can try to support yeah. that with many structures, but it's still going to be a feeling. And it starts with you. And then you have to look around and say, you know, is everything that we're doing for the most part aligned with that? So if if the sense that you want to create is one where everyone feels no matter where they come from, no matter what they identify with, no matter what, feels like they belong. Well, that's a that's an energy. You can't pinpoint it. Right. Can't walk into the room. But you better sure look at the way you're behaving as a leader. And does it promote that? Does it convey that? Because if there's dissonance, people are going to see right through it. I think that is such a smart way to talk about it. And it makes me think about the leaders that you're working with. And Mm -hmm. you talked a second ago about this idea of generational difference and helping people to understand what their employees, the people working for them and with them alongside might want from an office, a, a work experience. Are you getting at age there? Are you working yeah. with older people who are trying yes. to understand younger people? Just to well, I don't even think it? they're trying, right? They're not trying is the problem, right? They're they're leading based on <laughs> what they think is right. And one of the things that I have to, you know, try to get them to understand is, look, part of leading is not just what you think needs to get done, right? If you, I mean, you can do that, but then go sit in a room by yourself and lead away. <laughs> but if you're leading an organization, there are other people around you. And if you truly want to motivate them and inspire them, which is what they all say they want to do, then you really better understand what is it that inspires them at the root of being inspirational. And this is not meant to get religious or dogmatic in any way, but at the root of the word inspirational is spirit right? In spirit. And where does the spirit lies? Within. And so if you can't tap right. into what lies within that individual, what is the, the, the value or the, the level of importance or what, what it is that they deem as important, if you can't tap into that, there's no way you can be inspirational. There is age difference. There could be demographic differences, any differences. At the end of the day, though, from a generational standpoint, certainly people get very stuck on, well, this is the way that I came up. Therefore, ergo, and I was successful. <laughs> therefore, this is the way it also needs to be done. And I say, mm, not really, because, you know, guess what? Like in five years or 10 years, let me be a little more optimistic. You're not the one who's going to be leading this organization. They are. So you better pay a little attention. <laughs> to what's happening there. I find this so challenging. Even as you say it, I, you know, our listeners can't see me, but I've got this uncomfortable look on my face because I'm just reflecting on my own experience in my workplace and how much I struggle. You know, I'm in my mid forties and I struggle so much to remember that people coming into the workforce right now 
don't expect it to work the same way that I did when I was 23, 24, 25. Don't want the same things from it. Don't perceive the same things as opportunity from it. I know that's true intellectually, but I have a lot of trouble operationalizing it. And I'm thinking about this all the time. Mm-hmm. So I just want to acknowledge this is this is hard stuff. Look, I, I, you know, hit 50 last year. And so I've had to deal with it for myself. I mean, not even if you think about it organizationally, I look at my kids and I'm like, huh, like, that's not the way I did things. Right. But I think a large part of it and why it's hard for us is because in a sense, it questions our own identity. Right. Yes. It questions yes. the validity of relevance, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, so and and once you can embrace that, actually change is always happening, whether you like it or not, then it's always going to feel difficult. And, and one of the ways that I empathize with it is I think about when I was in my 20s and my dad would say, oh, you know, once you get that good job, you stay with it like stay with it. And I was like, what? No, of course not. Like this is the opportunity for the next opportunity. But I'm sure he looked at that and was like, oh my gosh, you know, you are completely doing things differently than I did. And so this is the nature of things, right? In order to lead, you have to be able to understand what the evolution is. Just to stay on age for a second, it's scary to grow older in the workforce. Because you, okay, let me, let me talk about me. I start to get nervous that I will become less relevant on every level. It seems like so many aspects of corporate America in particular appreciate and celebrate youth. Those kids understand how to do things faster, quicker, better. And what if I can't keep up? And what if my authority is undermined? What if authority works differently in the future and everything that I have worked for doesn't serve me anymore? I don't think that I'm the only one who has these like fears at my core. I think what you're underpinning is really the fear of human of the human condition of not feeling worthy and not feeling seen and not feeling heard. And it just changes as we get older to wanting to feel worthy and wanting to feel seen and wanting to feel heard in different ways. So part of it is really an and, you know, can you go to work every day and contribute in the way that you want to contribute and yet not so be attached to it and identify with it so strongly that when something changes on the external, on the work front, it doesn't take away the importance and the worth of who you are. So again, whether it's getting older in the workforce, whether it's losing your job, whether it's your project being taken away, how one responds to it really determines whether it's going to end up being a difficult situation, a situation of, you know, quote unquote, suffering versus a situation of acceptance, not from a passive place, but acceptance from a, okay, what does this mean for me in terms of what I do next? What opportunity lies ahead of me? I I love thinking about it that way because it's so empowering. Because what you're identifying is that you can't control the things that happen to you necessarily, but you certainly can control a lot about how you choose to work with those things, how you choose to think about them and tell your stories about them. 
Yeah, there's a saying, and I can't believe this is who I'm quoting, but one of my favorite Peloton instructors says it all the time, and it says, nothing happens to you, it happens for you. Would that and be Robin Arzon? It's not her, it's just Sims. <laughs> She's my other favorite, though. <laughs> I love her. Um, but, and and she, you know, she didn't source it, but I think it rings very true, which really what it points to is just a mindset difference in how you respond to things. And I think when we sort of take it back to coaching, at least from my perspective, what coaching allows you to do is reach that moment when you realize that you always have a choice how you respond to something, but you have to recognize that it's a choice. And as long as you can make that choice eyes wide open, and even better, if you can make that choice in a way that helps align you with what it is that you want or where you want to get your organization or where you want to get your team, whatever the outcome is that you're trying to get to, then, you know, you're doing the best that you can. Yeah. As we come into the final bit of our time together, I want to know what this year has been like for you professionally where you've been tested and where you've grown. Mm -hmm. I run a firm <laughs> where we have people who work and and I get concerned about their livelihood. And so there was a point where there was concern around what the future would bring. Would we have work? Would anybody want to do the type of work that we do fully virtually? We certainly had some things virtual before. There was a point I remember clearly where my partners and I had a, you know, sort of a, like, we need to get on the phone and figure this out. And it was out of concern that what was 2021 going to bring? The silver lining here is we all had to sort of exercise our ability to adapt and just having faith that no matter what happens, having confidence that no matter what happens, we can't control it, but we would adapt. We would figure it out. And that's what we've done. Ends up we didn't have to face some of our worst fears, thank goodness, but we were ready to do that. And that's a huge life lesson that just keeps getting reconfirmed. I think with my clients, the big learning there is continuing to deepen the understanding that at the end of the day, even though I'm working with leaders and they hold high power positions, they are all human and we are all human. And so this year has particularly reinforced that for me in terms of what they need as individuals, but also what they need so that they can help and support and move forward the humans that they lead. So I, I, I have found this, you know, oneness in the human condition, quite frankly, that we have all felt through the pandemic, uh, really resonate even more in the type of work that I do. That first bit that you talk about, that's resiliency, right? And I feel like resiliency was had almost become this buzzword going into the pandemic. Like bef before mm. 2020, I was getting a lot of pitches where people wanted to talk to me about resiliency. Mm. In this past year, those pitches stopped coming. I haven't gotten a pitch with the word resiliency in it in a year. But you know what? People learned how to deal with uncertainty and they actually became resilient in the process. Mm -hmm. Yeah, resilient. And I can say for me personally, I feel like I've always had resilience as sort of one of my superpowers. And I've actually been very reflective around there's a thin line between resilience and resistance, right? Resistance being when you like, don't want to give up totally for the wrong reasons. Uh, and so for me personally, it's been, re I've really been thinking about compassionate resilience in terms of, yes, you can be resilient and show strength and have compassion for what others are experiencing and for what you're experiencing. 
during all of this. And so that that sort of has tinted it in a different way in terms of my approach and my response even, not just to my clients, but to everyone who I'm dealing with. That was Muriel Wilkins. Be sure to check out her podcast, Coaching Real Leaders. It's on the HBR network. I really appreciated what Muriel had to say about how much impact we could all have on our own executive presence, if you will. It's that ability, as she defines it, to live at the intersection of credibility and relatability. Come talk about how you find your way to that spot with us. This week on Hello Monday's Office Hours, we'll be convening Wednesday afternoon at 3 p.m. Eastern. We're on the LinkedIn News page. You can find us by following LinkedIn News or emailing Monday at LinkedIn.com for the link. And I know I say this nearly every week, but we would love it if you'd take the time to rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to us right now. It really does help new listeners find the show. Thanks. Hello Monday is a production of LinkedIn. The show is produced by Sarah Storm. Joe DeGiorgi mixed our show. Florencia Riando is head of original audio and video. Dave Pond is our technical director. Michaela Greer, Victoria Taylor, Samantha Roberson, and Carrington, New York help us hone our executive presence. Our music was composed just for us by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. You also heard music from Poddington Bear. Dan Roth is the editor-in-chief of LinkedIn. I'm Jesse Hempel. See you next Monday. Thanks for listening. It's like being in an arranged marriage with our neighbors. And thank oh. God, our neighbors are great. So it's I mean, really worked out. I more power to you. I don't know. Like, I'm trying to th- I have a hard enough time just being in the house with my people. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm imagine like... when your twins were two and then imagine being oh, stuck in 600 true. square that, feet with true. them. I mean, I, you know, when I talk about the compassion, like, I have such huge compassion for y'all with the little ones because at least mine, <laughs> you know, even though they still sort of come in and like just burst into my office in the middle of the day, will understand when I give them the stare and which means you need to get out of here, (laughs) you know, and they can fend for themselves with food and, and all that.